Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Luke 18, 1 through 8, the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. You can also read it up on the screen or take your Bible out, whichever you prefer. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the reading. Alas. First service, I kind of laughed at Nebraska's phrase being the good life, and so I apologize to the people of the great state of Nebraska. I have since been informed that it is a very great state, and a lot of things are happening there. (laughs) My name is Jarrell. I'm the Church Start resident. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are going to start off with a word of prayer, if you would join me. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I found this passage to be really interesting just from the way that it starts alone. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Uh, That sentence implies that they weren't praying always and that they were probably losing heart. Um, And I think that it's a really uh, important sentence because it reminded me of what a lot of my friends and family members and people that are in need are going through right now. Um, I know a lot of people that are losing heart in this current political climate. And Jesus' remedy, although I love Jesus and think that he is the greatest and he's the best, his remedy is to pray. And I'm, as a person who is motivated to do things that are more practical, my thought is, why just pray? It seems like the thing that Christians say they're going to do when they don't want to actually do something Oh, you're struggling? I'll pray for you. Oh, I'll keep you in my prayers, but not actually do some hands-on work. But the story that he tells after saying we need to pray always shows a different form of prayer. He brings up this woman whose prayer is action. 
deliberately going to a man who's called the unjust judge over and over and over again, knowing that he's probably going to turn her down. And yet this woman keeps coming back to a person whose name, whose very name is unjust. And I found it interesting that the unjust judge got a name and this woman just got the name the widow. Throughout the Bible, women, uh, all female characters, majority of female characters, share one thing in common, that they don't get names. And I found that to be really problematic, as that seems like a form of injustice in and of itself. But this unnamed widow knew who she was. I can imagine this woman woke up thinking, I should just give up. But something inside of her rejects those thoughts. Something urges her to demand something that she is told she's not worthy of, justice, from an unjust judge of all people. And Jesus is making this story really simple, because his ultimate point is that God is a God of justice and that God's ultimate goal is to bring us into this reality where it is on earth as it is in heaven and that no one goes hungry, that no one goes without being loved and being cared for. But unfortunately for us today, we still live in a world with unjust judges. We still live in a world where people in the dead of night stay up until one 30 in the morning ordering $5,000 worth of pizza so that they can vote to take away people's access to health care. We still live in a world where congressmen who were beaten on the streets of Selma, Alabama for the right to vote are referred to as failures and ripped apart by the president-elect of the United States of America. We live in a world where we bring our complaints to people in positions of power and authority with the expectation that we're going to get nothing that we need to make it through. Like this widow, many of us have been persistent in our demands to be treated with dignity and respect in a world that says you are not worthy of this. And Jesus' response is, pray always. For Jesus, this prayer isn't the sort of prayer that I was taught to do as a child that... Uh, uh, alone, meditation, silent time, prayer. Y'all know what I'm talking about when you get your Hillsong music on and you get your coffee or your tea and you stretch out and you open up the Bible and read John 3.16 over and over again and then you feel recharged and you can go out and face the day. But Jesus' prayer seems to have hands and feet with it. The prayer always isn't just sitting back and thinking about your needs, but it's going out into the world. For Jesus, prayer is a form of resistance, a way of gaining strength for the journey, and a way of reorienting values. Prayer isn't so much about what God does for us, but what God reminds us, that we are not the center of the universe. God is. But it's also a place of petition. 
it almost seems as if Jesus in this story sets us up to think of God as the unjust judge. But that's not the case. This widow is going before the unjust judge in the face of injustice, knowing that her struggle isn't going to be easy. And yet she wins. She wins, a woman who doesn't even get a name in scripture. It's kind of amazing. But she reminded me of a character that we often overlook in scripture, a character by the name of Rispa. Rispa is a concubine. She's not a wife, concubine of King Saul. And back in the day, Ris kings, uh, when kings loved their wives, they got married to their wives. And then when they loved their concubines, they got their concubines. And this concubine was the mother of the children of Saul. Saul uh, violated a contract with the people of Gibeon. When Israel took over the area of Canaan, which we now would call Palestine, they promised not to kill the Gibeonites. And Saul, in a desire to show how bigly he is, killed many of them anyway. And because of this, God stopped listening to the king of Israel. Uh, David inherited the position, but God wasn't answering his prayers. So David prays and asks God, God, why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you doing this? And God said, your predecessor wronged these people and violated a contract. Go make things right with them. So David goes to the Gibeonites and he says, how do I make this right? And the Gibeonites say, well, Saul took some of our people. We want his kids. Give us seven of his sons. So David spares the son of Jonathan, his best friend, Saul's grandson, and goes after Rispa's sons, takes two of her boys, gives them to the Gibeonites. They hang them and leave their bodies out in the elements. And Rispa, a loving mother, sees the bodies of her dead sons hanging out in the open, knowing that this is a great injustice, that they didn't even get buried. And day and night for months, Ritzba camped out, sleeping on rocks, defending her son's dead bodies from birds and from beasts and fighting them off for months, day and night, no matter what the weather was, so that no harm would come to her sons. And when David heard of this woman's persistence in the face of injustice, he gathered the bones of Saul and Jonathan and the slain family members and brought them to where Ritzba was and gathered the body of her dead sons and buried them in the right place in the familial tomb of the family of Saul. But Ritzba had to know that what she was doing was right and just in the midst of an unjust king's reign. Now I know what you're saying. David is a man after God's own heart. But people after God's own heart make mistakes too. And people that mean to do well can still be agents of injustice in the world. This is why we do the work of justice together. So we have other people to challenge us and to press back on us and to keep us in line. Now, it's harder to do that with kings than it is to do that with our friends in church. Yet Ritzba did it. Like the 
persistent widow. She knew that her cause was just, not because of what was on the laws of the land. The Constitution was not on her side. She didn't have the electoral college votes she needed to support her popular vote. But what she did have was the assurance that she was a woman made in the image of Almighty God. And that alone guaranteed her rights for respect and dignity and guaranteed those same rights to her sons. And King David lost sight of that. This woman, knowing that she is a child of the Creator, demanded that the person with the most power in her nation give her the time of day and treat her sons right. What an inspiration for us today. As we live in a nation where we know our friends and family members are just hours away from losing access to the medical care they need, as we have read reports that have verified what people on the south side of Chicago have been saying for centuries, that the police are being unjust. Now we have the Department of Justice saying the same thing in 164 pages. We now know that there are people that have been treated unjustly throughout the history of our nation. We know that the people of Standing Rock have been treated unjustly. We know that the people on the South Side have been treated unjustly. We know that there are schools that are being underfunded, that teachers are being underpaid and overworked, that there are people that are on the streets homeless and hungry and not getting treated for the issues that they're facing in their bodies. We know that injustice is prevalent in the world, but we also know that we don't serve a God that is unjust, but we serve a God of justice. God isn't the unjust judge that refuses to hear our cry and just sends us away. We don't have to irritate God to get what we want. All we need to do, according to Jesus Christ, is to pray without ceasing. Our prayer isn't to sit in our rooms and just say, God, make it better, but rather our prayer is to get up and go out and get to work. And we have examples in scripture of people who do the same thing. Jesus made one up and we have a real one. Ritzbah is her name. Ritzbah the concubine, a hero of our faith. Standing up. Can you imagine? It's hard enough to stand up to our elected officials today. And realistically, most of them aren't going to have us assassinated. Ritzbah could have been killed. David had absolute authority. He saw that the Gibeonites wanted seven sons and he just handed them over and they were dead like that. That could have happened to her. But because she knew that she served a God who was above death and the grave, she stood firm and demanded that she be treated right. And I think her story demands that we stand up today too. She is telling us that we need to stand up for what is right, even in the midst of persecution. The Good Enough Life is our sermon series, but I think it's something more. It's an idea of what it is to be a Christian in this world. It's 
about seeking opportunities to resist evil and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. We talk about it every time we baptize people or every time people become new members. And I think we don't use the language enough because we need to be reminded constantly that that is our goal, to resist evil and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Which means if we see people being treated unjustly, it is our job not to sit and call someone else to deal with it, but our job to stand up for what's right. When we see that people are being underpaid and overworked, it is our obligation to fight for just wages. When we see that people are on the streets hungry and starving, it is our job to feed them. Jesus didn't say, when I was hungry, you called up somebody and then you told them that there was a hungry person and then they fed me. He said, when I was hungry, you fed me. And if we aren't the ones out there feeding people, how are they going to get fed? If we aren't the ones clothing them, how are they going to get clothes or housed or educated or uh, healed? The work of justice is long and tedious. It's why Jesus said, so that you don't lose heart. He knew that this struggle was going to be difficult. The struggle for justice is long and tedious, but it brings about something so great and so good. It brings about healing and wholeness for people that have been searching for it for their lifetimes. Could you imagine going through all of life feeling lonely and isolated, feeling like your cries for justice aren't heard, feeling like every time you come to the judge you're going to be sent away empty-handed, The persistent widow got what she wanted because she irritated the unjust judge. I think now is the time for us to engage in a season of irritation. There are people in positions of power and authority that are unjust. And I think we need to be a little irritable about it. We need to irritate some folks because we have been working. How long has CRS worked on the just or fair cops resolution? Two and a half? Two and a half years? Aren't we still waiting on our independent reviewer? That's an unjust thing. When are we going to have people in positions of power and authority held accountable? We gotta irritate our mayor. We have to irritate our aldermen, irritate our congressmen and women, irritate our senators and our president up and down. We got to irritate people. Because unlike the God we serve, the people that are claiming to be our public servants aren't going to just roll justice out. It's not profitable. We need people who see the real reason for justice not to make money or to gather profits, but because other human beings are made in the image of Almighty God and they deserve dignity and respect. 
It's not about making ourselves feel better or feel great. It's about making this world better and making this world great. And unlike making America great again, this is a vision that is rolled out for all people. Those who have disabilities and those who do not, those who are gay and bi and straight and trans and cis, those who are rich and poor and middle class, those who don't feel as if there is a space for them in this nation, God is saying to us today to remember who it is we are, people of faith, people that identify as Christians, people whose very job it is to make it on earth as it is in heaven. We say it before we uh, take communion. We say it before we get baptized. This is our job. not easy. But we're not doing it alone. The values we have as people called by Christ Jesus are different than those of the world. It's so strange to think that it is a political issue whether or not children get to access health care. I expected Obamacare to get repealed, but what I didn't expect was for CHIP to get repealed. Now, what is CHIP? CHIP is basically Obamacare, but it's for children. In the 1990s, a politician, a public servant, wanted to get universal health care for the United States of America, and this woman failed in her uh, attempt. But what she did manage to do is get through a piece of legislation that said that if there is any child in the United States that doesn't have access to insurance or health care, that we as a country are going to pull our resources together and make sure that that child's needs are met. And when I woke up this week and read the news that that legislation was stripped away by the Senate at 1.30 in the morning while we were sleeping, it broke my heart. I know that not everybody thinks the way I do and not everyone votes the way I do, that not everyone has the same values, but I thought that one thing every American could have in common is the desire to take care of children. The values of the world put profit before people. It's our job to put people first. And we have examples in scripture of people doing just that. From the persistent widow to Rispa, we have examples of people today that do the same. We have Ida B. Wells, who in her fight for women's suffrage still had to fight racism within the suffrage community. And rather than accept what they said to do, go to the back, because we can't risk a black woman being in the front of this movement. She demanded dignity and respect in the face of injustice and snuck her way to the front. Tell me how this woman got her hands on the banner and led the march through Washington, DC. We have people like a certain congressman who was called a failure this week on Twitter, 
who is willing to march in the streets with MLK and face batons and beatings and jailing and imprisoned. His very life is at risk, but he knew that black people deserved the right to vote in this country, and so he marched in Selma until the laws changed. We know what it looks, and I feel like we downplay the faith that was in this. Our congressman is all about Jesus. This is a God-given right to let your voice be heard in the halls of power, despite their attempts to ignore you. We have people that in our lives, in our communities, that know what it is like to fight for justice for homeless LGBT youth. We know what it's like to have friends that fight for justice for people with HIV and AIDS who have been denied medical care in the past. And we know what it is like to stand up and to say enough is enough. Our church's very existence is standing up in the face of injustice because we dare to say that this is a place where LGBT people can be loved and affirmed. This is a place where racism will not stand. To be LGBT affirming and anti-racist in a world that seems to have a love affair with racism and homophobia is a radical thing. And we do that together. This is what resistance looks like. This is what Christianity looks like. And this is what prayer looks like. Continually bringing our requests, not just to God, but to those in positions of power and demanding justice. Make it on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good enough life for me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks that you hear us when we feel unheard. You have not left us on this struggle alone, that you have empowered us with your Holy Spirit. You've given us the gift of community you've given us the gift of your son for all of these things. We give you thanks and we give you praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're going to take an offering now. Um,